0: So, six days after Jesus reveals to his disciples that he is the Christ, he decides to take the boys on a camping trip. And so, Jesus and Peter and James and John climb a mountain, and upon the mountaintop, Jesus is transfigured. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Think Gandalf the gray to Gandalf the white, if you've seen Lord of the Rings. This is what's happened on the mountaintop. In this moment of transfiguration, of divine glory revealed, Moses and Elijah, the great prophets of old, appear. And so they begin having a conversation with Jesus. We don't know what they talked about, but you now the boys get together and talk about their work for, for God. And as if that's not bedazzling enough, a great cloud appears. And this cloud can speak. And (laughs) the cloud says to those gathered on the mountain, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, James and Peter and John are, are not comfortable with talking clouds. And so they are overcome with fear and they fall to the ground. And Jesus, seeing them in their state of fear, goes to them and he lays his hand upon them. And he says, get up, do not be afraid. And the disciples stand, they've regained their composure, but they realize they are now alone with Jesus on the mountaintop for Elijah and Moses and the great talking cloud are gone. So they descend the mountain, and on their journey, Jesus says to them, Tell no one of what you have seen until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Seems clear. From this moment forward, every step Jesus takes leads him closer to Jerusalem, to his passion, to the cross, to the tomb, and to that Easter morning when he reveals his true self to Mary. <clears throat> now let's be honest, the account of Jesus' transfiguration seems a little difficult to swallow. It seems a little outlandish. It's difficult to fully embrace and to, I don't know, conceive of, of bedazzling white Jesus. For me, at least, it is. I mean, in our science-bound culture, Even those of us who are open to the mystery of faith, we don't quite know what to do with this account. We shy away from this account. What do you do with the dazzling Jesus? I don't know. The experience of transfiguration is certainly not unknown to us. In each of our lives... I am certain that we have experienced those moments of illumination when, through an act or a conversation, someone we thought we knew fairly well was seen in a different light. I'm certain that for each of us, in retrospect, the passing of a loved one, the passing of a friend, we've come to recognize that, perhaps wrongly, we understood their character. And the truth is, that person's life meant more to us than we were willing to admit. Moments of illumination. And even in our own lives, as we've journeyed through our personal joys and sorrows, our doubts and our certainties, we've all experienced transfiguration. The moment of self-understanding and the claiming of our truth, whatever that truth might be the ability to see beyond perhaps the label. I'm more than an addict. I'm more than my sexuality. I'm more than a son, a spouse, a parent. I'm more than my history of child abuse. Whatever it might be, I am more than. A moment of illumination. We've all experienced it. And we will continue to experience it in our lives and in the lives of other people. At this point, <clears throat> I should probably begin just deconstructing what happened on the mountaintop. Because that's why you're all here. To talk about bedazzling Jesus. And I should probably begin talking about that moment of glory and the revelation and how it impacts your life as disciples. I should probably talk about that cloud and its booming voice, in our journey to Jerusalem with Jesus. I should talk about all those things, but I'm not, at least not yet. Rather, I'm going to tell you a story about three young men, and then we'll go back to the mountaintop. On Wednesdays, Stone Village offers uh, state identification um, ministries, provide vouchers uh, that cover the cost of identification cards and birth certificates. And a large number of people that we serve on Wednesday mornings are ex-offenders. And most of those men and women live in halfway houses. And they're dropped off early in the morning. And, you know, they wait. And our ministry is very efficient, if that surprises you. (laughs) And so quite often um, they end up waiting for their ride. And sometimes it can be 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It can be an hour. And so oftentimes I will find myself um, talking with one of them or uh, a group of them as they wait for their ride. This past Wednesday there was a young man named Joshua. Josh, as he reminded me on more than one occasion. And through my conversation with Josh, I had learned that he had been in some form of incarceration since the age of 11. And you know, I, I always try not to pry. It's more of that: if you want to share, share, um, but I don't want to feel like you're in confession either. But through our conversation, I learned of of his life and and uh, a life of abandonment, a life of 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 poverty and crime and drug addiction and so on and so forth. And obviously a life that is defined by prison, I mean, literally and figuratively since the age of 11. Josh is 21, so half of his life has been spent in prison in some form, and what was so striking about my time with Josh was his intelligence and his character. He didn't fit the label I had for him, He didn't fit what you would think an ex-offender who'd spent 10 years in and out of prison would speak, look, act, like. He was so articulate, and he was so appreciative and somewhat unwilling to believe what we were offering. Like, what's the catch? And he illustrated such a hope for his future When Josh left, I had this moment where I, a lot of moments that day, where I was thinking about him. And I had that moment of transfiguration with him, where I saw him differently. But then I started to think about, how will the world see him? Probably will always see him as his criminal record. That's where people will begin and end with Josh. He's a felon. He has a past. But he had such hope, has such hope for his life. So that's the first young man. On Thursday, um, I was asked to be a science fair judge. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I... yeah. (laughs) Asked to be a science fair judge over at the Montessori School right across the street. And um, each year, the fourth and eighth grade students at the Montessori School um, present a project of their choosing. And these children spend up to a year preparing for this, this moment of glory. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it's, it's impressive, I mean, if you've never seen what these children are doing over there, go. It'll blow your socks off. And I was so flattered to be asked, one, but then in the midst of the experience, I realized how affirming and celebratory and how it illuminated the lives of these children and how it spoke to their potential in life. I was assigned Nick, um, whose project was the life of a star. And I'm talking like from the beginning to end. And he had 3D models, he had glitter. (laughs) I mean, it was impressive. And my other, um, each judge is is assigned two students. And my other um, student was John. And his project was alternative energy sources. Yeah, (laughs) you said it right. Oh, my gosh, because I'm so equipped to judge those types of things. (laughs) I learned so much from these boys, so much. And the thing is, they're in fifth grade, so both boys are at the age of 11-ish in that area. And I was just so impressed with them and so impressed with uh, the community's affirmation of them. I'll be honest, I gave those two boys all of the points. Every point they could hopefully achieve, I gave them some. <laughs> and bonus points I tried. I was so proud of them and so proud of the moment and of the community's celebration of those two boys. At the end of the, the fair, I came back to Stone Village and you know, I started to think about these three young men um, who 48 hours before I had not known. And yet, here I was thinking about Josh and Nick and John and the disparity of their lives. How the light shined so differently in their lives. How their community affirmed their lives. How their community loved them or didn't love them. The light shined so differently. You know, at the age of 11, Josh went to juvie for the first time. Nick and John, at the age of 11, are celebrated in their community, presenting to the minister across the street. It couldn't be any more different. What if someone had been willing to see Josh differently? What if someone had offered him a different way, perhaps illuminated his potential in life. Let's return to the mountaintop. When I think about Jesus' transfiguration, it is certainly a divine spectacle. It is certainly a moment of revelation. It is certainly uh, a moment that's a bit mind-boggling. Um, But the transfiguration for us cannot remain on the mountaintop. And that's the key, is that the transfiguration has to live on in us. Peter wanted to pitch a tent and stay there forever because it was so wonderful. There's Moses and Elijah and this talking cloud. It's great here, it's shiny and bright. Let's pitch a tent and stay forever. But the truth is, God calls us to the valley. God calls us to the valley where there is darkness. God calls us to the valley where there is death. But there is also resurrection. If we have faith and believe that in that moment of transfiguration, that God in Christ was revealed, then we have to embrace that we have a God who suffers and dies for all humanity. And he suffered and died in the valley where we are called to live. For me, the most poignant moment of the transfiguration is when Jesus goes to Peter and James and John and places his hand upon them. And he says, get up and do not be afraid. In that moment, we are reassured of God's presence in our lives. We are reassured that God is with us, alongside us. That God is always reaching out to us fill our fears and pick us up. And call us to a new journey. In this moment, we understand our own purpose as disciples, Christians. We are to emulate the light that came forth from Christ in our own lives and in our actions with one another. That's how transfiguration continues. All of God's hope, I believe, for us is communicated and known in a simple human touch. And if we're honest with ourselves, we acknowledge this truth. For nothing in life is more affirming, more comforting, that brings us greater peace than to have a human being embrace us, to touch us, to let us know that we matter, that it's okay that we fail. It all comes down to our ability to illuminate another person's life. It all comes down to be willing to let the light of God that is within all of us manifest through our words and our actions. God calls us to live in the valley so that the Josh's of this world and any of us who walk and stumble in darkness might be made whole through something as simple as a human touch in those words of get up and don't be afraid. Amen.